The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story, The Three Doctors. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Uh, Folks, remember to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who wherever you find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel where you can watch us, and you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications after you subscribe. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Stargate, featuring our very own Father Corey and others, and uh, you should check that out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash stargate. So, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in The Three Doctors? This week, the forces from an antimatter universe start trying to abduct the third Doctor, and they start sucking people and things into the antimatter world inside of a black hole. Even the Time Lords are under siege and can't do more than bring the third Doctor's previous selves through time to help him out. So the second Doctor shows up. But the first Doctor is stuck in a kind of limbo and can only communicate with them over FaceTime. Eventually, everybody ends up in the antimatter world after going through a kind of transformation that allows them to avoid exploding on contact with antimatter. And it turns out that the antimatter world was created by the ancient Time Lord hero Omega, who gave them, or Omega as we say in America, (laughs) who gave them the ability to travel through time by creating the supernova that led to the black hole. It was believed that Omega had died during the incident, and they revered him as a hero, but he believes that he was abandoned and wants his vengeance. He also wants his freedom, but because he is creating the world inside the black hole by the force of his will, he can't leave without a replacement, and he wants the doctor to replace him. But the doctors discover that his body has been eaten away and that actually all that's left of him is his will. They also discover that the second doctor's recorder wasn't transformed and is still made of normal matter. It's inside the TARDIS's force field generator, which is keeping it from exploding. So they offer Omega the force field generator as the only freedom he can ever have. And they provoke Omega into smashing the force field generator, knowing that contact with regular matter by the flute will cause an explosion of enormous proportions and kill him, thus giving him death, the only freedom he can ever have. Anyway, they do that, and the antimatter explosion causes the black hole to turn into a supernova, giving the Time Lords a new source of power and it causes everything taken from Earth to snap back to its normal place. The other two Doctors are returned to their previous times, and as a thank you, the Time Lords give the third Doctor control of his TARDIS again, ending his exile on Earth for this 10th anniversary show. The end. The end. 
So uh, this is cl- uh, obviously the first multi-doctor story of you know the the first time we had multiple doctors apart from regenerations, which you know doesn't yeah. really count. Um, and like you said, it's the, this was the tenth anniversary season, and so they decided to celebrate it by having the multiple doctors on screen, which kind of becomes a tradition, right? They they mm-hmm. then do this for other big ones. We we've already talked about the two doctors in the six doctors time. That wasn't brought- an that wasn't an anniversary though. That was just for fun. Oh, I thought there was a significant date. Okay, and then um, what other ones were there? Was there the, four the, doctors? The, no, there was the five doctors for the twenty for the twentieth um, anniversary. Then there was um, day of the doctor. The day 50th. of the yeah for the fiftieth. Okay, um, there have been additional. Multi-doctor stories, apart from regenerations, like the two doctors, which was just for fun because Troughton and 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 Colin Baker were friends who would poke fun at each other, and Time Crash for mm. television, and which is just a short, but it's still a lot of fun, featuring the fifth and the tenth Doctor as kind of a bridge between old Who and new Who. Right. And then we had uh, Tom Baker show up as the curator in the in, 50th, in the 50th. Yep. And then we also had the five ish doctors, which was just just a fun, unofficial yep. thing. That was it. Uh, Peter Baker, Davison did. Yeah. Peter Davison, Tom Baker and um, no, Colin, Colin Baker. Baker. Co- I'm sorry, Colin Baker. Not, I was trying to say Sil- not Tom and Baker. Sylvester but. McCoy and Paul McGann. Right. Right. Yeah. That was kind of fun. We'll, we should talk about that sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other other. And and then we had for this for the Jody Whitaker's finale, we had another multi doctor story. That's true. And yeah. we're about to have something similar in some form for the 60th anniversary. Right. Oh, can't forget also the twelfth Doctor and the first Doctor with uh, mm-hmm. um, twice upon a time. Twice upon a time. Yes. So we've had multiple multiple Doctor stories, and so the other things that are that make this notable as this is the start of the tenth season. So. Uh, the third Doctor has been in exile on Earth until this point, mm-hmm. and so this features the end of the the the, the uh, third Doctor's exile, where now he can tra- he's given back the ability to travel in the TARDIS, more mm-hmm. um, per- well, permanently. They kind of gave it to him temporarily at times. Um, it's the first time that the Brigadier and Sergeant Benton go into the TARDIS, mm-hmm. and and the first use of the term "it's bigger on the inside," and uh, I think those are the, those are the major. F- firsts well, for this also first time we see the second doctor in color because his whole run was in black and white that's true that's true mm-hmm. and yeah. the first doctor in color even, yeah. though, even if he's well. just on a tv monitor right um the, the so this is the beginning it's not just the 10th season it's the beginning of the 10th season so episode mm-hmm. one of this is 10 seasons to the episode after an unearthly child And it's interesting to think about An Unearthly Child and where the show was then and where it is now Mm. Um, because so much has changed and so much more has been revealed and the backstory has been filled Mm. in so much more than it was at the time of An Unearthly Child. I mean, now we know the name of the Doctor's people, the Mm -hmm. Time Lords. We know the name of the Doctor's home planet. It's Gallifrey. We even see Gallifrey in this episode which is a, which is a first i mean seeing outside of a courtroom right. and um and all of that was just a complete blank slate 
in mm-hmm. in at in the time of an unearthly child. They hadn't even figured any of that stuff out yet. Also, it's interesting to look at where the series, the rest of the series is. If you come, if you go back ten years, because the rest of this story, parts two, three, and four, are so much better than the tribe of gum cavemen <laughs> sequence that immediately followed an unearthly child. That's not a yeah. not a high bar to jump, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was rough going in the very early going. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this also set the precedent for doctors squabbling whenever they get together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because that hadn't happened before. Yeah. And now it's part of the fun to see, to watch the doctor's reactions to each other and not be entirely pleased. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, we get the, the first time of the line of you've remodeled. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love how cheerfully he says that. Oh, you've done, you've done the TARDIS up. I don't like it. <laughs> and he just sounds very cheerful as he says it. The and Patrick Troughton is just so much fun in this. Yes, um, effectively, the two doctors squabble for the first two parts of the story, and then in episode three, they're trapped in a cell with the other characters from Unit, at, who who basically, I mean, Sergeant Benton and Joe Grant basically yell at them into cooperating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And after that, they start. They really quickly start cooperating. They even become deferential to each right. other. You know, like the second doctor is, oh, I'll let you do this. Oh no, you're so much better at it than me. You know, <laughs> yeah. and um, and so we get a lot more cooperation with just occasional little notes after that. But I I thought it was I, my memory. I don't know if I was feeling bad the last time I watched this, but. I my memory is that it was a lot slower mm-hmm. than it actually is on this rewatch or than it seems on this rewatch and I was thinking, you know, previously Time Crash had been my far and away favorite second doctor story mm-hmm. even though it's 5 minutes long. Um, you know, it's got that marvelous line in it 2 minutes to Belgium which doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, 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 doctor has, the doctor has announced that uh, if they don't fix the problem, a hole will be blown in the universe the size of the exact size of Belgium. And so mm. two minutes to Belgium. <laughs> um, but, uh, but after rewatching this, it's like, no, this is so much, this is so much more fun than I remembered. It's, it moves a lot faster. Um, and, uh, and so time crash is no longer my runaway favorite of the multi-doctor stories. I think this is really up there too. This is much better than I remembered it. This is, this has always been one of the classic who episodes I've enjoyed, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I've always, I've always liked it. And and part of it is the interaction between Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee, you know, I mean, they're such great, they work off each other so well. Mm. You know, and, and and the comedy between them and everything is so great. Um, with one or two clunker scenes, we'll talk about you know in a little bit. But you know, it 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 does work really well, and it does move pretty well. And you get to see Joe Grant and Sergeant Benton kind of be you know their own agents. You know, they're they've got their own agency as they're going through this. Um, you know, the Brigadier is well, the Brigadier. Um, <laughs> but it, no, it's yeah. it's it it's a lot of fun. Um. I've always really enjoyed it. Now, one thing I do want, speaking of the Brigadier, I do want to mention, uh, he does technically travel in the TARDIS in this, although it's not under the TARDIS's own power. 
So does that make, does this when he officially becomes the companion? Because he did travel in the TARDIS. <laughs> well, I think the got to ride in a TARDIS companion rule is overblown because yeah, lots of people have gotten rides in TARDISes, but I wouldn't call them companions. Right. I know. I, I, right. I, I, that's kind of being silly because that is kind of a, a, a thing in Doctor Who fandom is you have to actually ride in the TARDIS to be a companion. And the Brigadier, I mean, he's clearly, as Sergeant Menton is. I like Sergeant Menton is like the most practical about it too. It's like, well, it's obvious that it's bigger on the inside that doesn't need to be said <laughs> right he's still gobsmacked by it though oh yeah oh yeah so the uh the, one of the things you mentioned by the way is the humor is was what really makes this one for me i mean there's plenty of good action but there's lots of great humor between like you mentioned jimmy the between the, the two doctors uh but also with the, the the doctors and others and uh I think that's really what what makes what elevates this one. I mean, there's there's plenty of action. I mean, it is fairly action packed. It's got some shooting things with the the unit soldiers and that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, the humor really gets for me. But also the uh, the mythologizing, the mm -hmm. introduction of Omega and the the you know this mythology of the Time Lords, and really that. With the third Doctor, I feel like that's when we've really started to build the mythology of the Time Lord civilization, um, more much more so than we ha ever had with the first two Doctors. Um, and and Omega, like Omega, will be referenced. I don't know if he comes back. That's oh, he comes back. He, he, okay, he, he comes back in the fifth Doctor's time in a really horrible story set in Amsterdam. Okay. I think didn't we cover that? We one? covered it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh right, right. Yes, I remember so, that one now. That's who, that, becomes, that's who that guy is. He's much better here. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the seventh Doctor will reference him in a story we've done as well with yep. the, uh, uh, um, the a weapon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a weapon from Omega. So uh, he comes up again several times. The um, hand of Omega in, <laughs> in Death, uh, not Death to the Daleks, but uh, uh, Remembrance of, of the Daleks. Daleks. Remembrance of the Daleks. Which was right. the 25th anniversary. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. So um, let's, uh, it, you know, I should mention why William Hartnell wasn't on set. He he only appeared on screen because he was so frail and ill at the time, I guess. He was, mm -hmm. in fact, uh, he had retired from acting mm -hmm. and would die just two years later after they filmed this. Yeah. And he was only in his mid 60s at the time, which is amazing to me. I mean, people people aged quicker back then. Oh yeah. Um, and he, cause he was in apparently his mid fifties when he got the part and, right. and he, he, his health was already bad. His memory was already going. And I'm just like, really? Wow. I'm, I am older than yeah. William Hartnell was when he became the doctor. <laughs> mm -hmm. I and, think about that sometimes myself. <laughs> yeah. And, and he had atherosclerosis. So his, his, um, his uh, blood vessels were being filled up with calcium, um, but uh, and and that caused all kinds of problems for him. But he they they gave him the call and he said, "Oh, I'd love to come back." And he, he but they caught him on a good day, mm. and his wife immediately said, "No, you you don't. You're not going back into film a full four week story." And so they they arranged a FaceTime solution for him. Yeah. And and part of the reason why he kept looking off screen is he was literally looking at cue cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't I have mean, to memorize his lines. <laughs> he just, he would read, you know, they'd have the you know, guy with the big white cards Yeah, and he'd sit and read right off of it. 
But I mean, so, heck, he was kind of doing that when he was the first doctor. Those yeah. seasons, he had trouble with the with the lines. So yeah, uh, yep. People people lived harder lives uh, back then. Well, not that you long know, ago. It, it's not unheard of for people to have sim- similar issues as he does today, but it is mm-hmm. more treatable today than it was then. Yeah, that's for sure. Yep. Also, it you know, a lot of the atherosclerosis is caused by inflammation. And so today, doctors actually monitor your inflammation levels and mm-hmm. can prescribe things to reduce it. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. The wonders of modern medicine. So one of the things that uh, starts everything off in this is this. A uh, comedy yokel. <laughs> right. Which are, yeah. which, which, which are de rigueur in these John Pertwee episodes. You're stuck mm-hmm. on Earth in England. You got a comedy yokel there. Yes. Mr. Aulis, I think it is, yeah. right? Well, I was, Mr. I was Arthur thinking, Aulis. Yeah. For, for some reason, I thought it was like they filmed at the same location of Spearhead from Space, the first John Pertwee episode where they had the, the, the comedy yokel uh, mm-hmm. poacher, uh, but it wasn't. It, was, it might have been the same uh, location. Uh, wildlife. Yeah, refuge, yeah. but it well, wasn't the it wasn't the same exact location. Yeah, but notice we've got the flip side. Last time we had a poacher. This time we have a game warden. Yep, right, right. And uh, he stumbles on uh, a balloon, a scientific balloon, looks like a weather balloon. You know, the big mm-hmm. silvery thing, uh, doing a cosmic ray research experiment, experiment, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. Which involves it's very, it's very basic. It involves sending photographic plates or photographic. X-ray. Yeah, film up and you know up on a box attached to the balloon up into the upper atmosphere, and then having it come back down again, and then developing it and looking at what develops. I mean, that is that is some basic (laughs) research at the time. That's uh, pretty wild. That was what was done. Yeah, (laughs) he does make a reference by this. This uh, Professor Tyler makes a reference to well, you know, we may not have Houston's uh, resources, but uh, we you know like NASA, but you know we get the job done, which is kind of fun. (laughs) <laughs> um, so the uh, uh, but what happens uh, with it is something is in it like this. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure exactly what they're going with, but this cosmic ray creature was in it. Yeah, the science here is sketchy at best. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but there is an antimatter blob in the in the box that is represented by a by a special effect, and it. It's hard to describe because the science is so out of contact with reality. Um, But basically, they're gesturing at the fact, I assume, that you can make antimatter through cosmic ray collisions. And so we're studying cosmic rays here, and this blob of antimatter comes back, um, which is somehow connected to a, an energy beam being emitted, even though that's impossible, by a black hole. And there's an antimatter world inside of the black hole. And, okay, that's at least possible because it doesn't violate any of the laws of physics. Um, I mean, it would there could be antimatter inside of black holes. But all the rest of this is, is uh, stitched together with... <laughs> With scotch mm. tape and yeah. chicken wire, <laughs> yeah, doesn't doesn't really hold together very well. Uh, but when when first I don't know, I never I couldn't figure out why it was he when Mister Aulis was missing because he gets absorbed mm-hmm. by the thing. Uh, why he immediately calls unit and just doesn't assume the guy has wandered off? It's kind of a funny 
it, it's they don't convey this very well on screen, but he sees uh, the, we have this Professor Tyler who's driving to pick up the the weather balloon, mm-hmm. and he sees this comes he relates this later in dialogue. He saw Alice at the weather balloon, and then as soon as he um, arrived at the weather balloon, he realized Alice wasn't there. So he Alice disappeared in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he also says he was going to call them anyway because of the cosmic ray stuff that the findings they'd been getting from their cosmic ray research. Okay. You know, um, the brigadier makes a reference that I didn't get. I wonder if either of you two got it. I think it's mm-hmm. it's probably a British thing or a ni- early 1970s thing or both. Um, he, you, The brigadier says sort of dryly to Professor Tyler uh, when he's at unit headquarters, um, make yourself at home. We're only supposed to be a top secret security establishment. Liberty Hall, Dr. Tyler, Liberty Hall. Right. Mm-hmm. What's Liberty Hall? Do, do you know? I had, to, I had to look that up, but it, it basically means you have freedom of movement. You can do whatever you want. It's kind of, and of course, the brigadier is doing it completely sarcastically. He's basically, oh, yeah, oh. you know, we're top secret. You know, you're not really supposed to know we even exist, but hey, have free reign of the facilities, you know, yeah. it'd be like saying, you know, the cafeteria is just down the hall. You'll get a cup of coffee if you want, and, you know, that <laughs> right. kind of idea. Wander around. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's, that, that makes more sense. Um, then it, 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 that's one of the things I like about, you know, watching these classic shows is the references I don't get and, you know, learning about them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So this professor Tyler kind of comes in and out of this story. He, he also ends up getting, flash out of existence but it turns out they're being just being transported as you mentioned to this other world uh and once he's there at this other world he's kind of interesting so he kind of is a classic professor he's a bit bumbling bit clueless um but at one point when he and the doctor and joe are captured by omega and his the gels whatever mm-hmm. the, the you know, those creatures are okay so we now have a second creature that we need to talk about the sure. first the first one is the antimatter blob that comes in the in in the weather balloons experimental payload that's hidden in there and it creeps around through drains and stuff it's like the blob in the movie the blob mm-hmm. but then we have these other blobs that just teleport in and they look kind of like giant eggplant bubble wrap seaweed monsters with a crab claw with a crab claw (laughs) and and they and they're they're called apparently gels in the script or something like that um Mm. i don't know that they say their name on screen they just refer to them as the creatures Mm. um but they're they're we have both of them serving as antagonists and it's not a hundred percent clear to me why um i because why do we need two of these two different kinds of antimatter monsters but um but we that's what we get and yeah, we, so mm, you need there the, are the two. Tele- you get the teleporty creature and the shooty creature mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i i guess the 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 shooty creature the gels are practical effects so a little easier to do perhaps at the time mm-hmm. i guess um yeah so uh, but so when they're captured by them and they're taken into omega's palace and imprisoned uh or they or they're waiting to see omega tyler gets this like hair this wild hair like I'm going to escape. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the dark's like, stop. What are you doing? You're doing yeah. to ruin everything. And he's just like, no, no, I'm going to escape. And it's like, 
dude, calm down. It was kind of wild. I think it's kind of funny. Yeah, uh, he's character. He's, he's being possessed by uh by a plot demon because we <laughs> we need we need to kill some runtime, and so we're gonna wait. We're gonna have Tyler waste five minutes of airtime trying to escape and escaping, and then finding his way back. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's Tyler. Uh. And then you know. So one of the 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 elements is, is that this antimatter blob is chasing. We the doctor figures out it's chasing him. Mm-hmm. That it it wants him. Uh, at one point, it takes Bessie, <laughs> poor, mm-hmm. Bessie the car. Uh, people yep. don't remember. Um. Which poor Bessie. I th- so at first you think these things are all being destroyed. Uh. Mm-hmm. But it turns out they're being transported, including uh a lab table. A uh, part of the wall of the doctor's lab, uh, uh, the house itself, the, the whole water, building, a water yeah. cooler, water cooler, uh, the uh, the brigadier's computer, which I thought was a funny little reference. Like Joe's, like what's that? It's a computer, my dear. It's like the like the real to real data storage device. It's a old real real data storage device. Yeah, it's a tape drive. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that all that stuff ends up on this antimatter planet at one point or another. Um. In, and in Mr. Aulis and Professor Tyler. So um, I love the fact that they set guards on the drains. Like, so after the Bessie disappears, the doctor tells the brigadier, it's like, set guards. What are they supposed to do? Like, they don't give him instructions. Well, they just like, he, set guards. Sergeant Bidden even had that look like, oh, yet another task we have to do just because, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, he's, at- he's so put upon so many times. It's so funny. Yep. At a minimum, posting guards on the drains will alert you to where the yeah. creature is emerging and That's what true. might what might be under threat. That that is true. That is true. Um so they get cornered in the in the TARDIS uh by the antimatter creature, the doctor and Joe and Benton, and uh, the doctor sends an SOS that alerts the Time Lords. And it's interesting, so we get to see the Time Lord command central command mm-hmm. and they're already under siege by omega who they who's an equal and opposite force to them it, they're ta- it's taking all of their resources to counter or attempt to counter what he's doing which is the plot device that makes them send the other two doctors um right. so I, I thought that was an interesting insight or look into the time lords and how they turn to the third doctor yeah, it's also interesting to me how they're visually depicted because this is only the second time we've seen Time Lords other mm-hmm. than the Doctor in the, well I should say it's the only time it's only the second time we've seen them in their native environment. We saw them at the end of the War Games where they appeared mm-hmm. in kind of they're sort of like robes, kind of like choir robes, but mm-hmm. black and white. And here they have kind of developed that theme further. Uh, they have, I, I, it's hard to quantify, but they look a little more robe-like and they've got more, what do you call them? Um, adornments, uh, the Mm -hmm. accessories. Yeah. Um, that's what they're called. Um, but they don't yet have the giant collars from Tom Baker's time and they don't yet have the bright colors from Tom Mm -hmm. Baker's time. So we're still in the process of forming the Time Lord aesthetic, and and I kind of like this one. Um, mm. I, uh, I it's too bad that they've kind of gotten away from this one, but this one is kind of this. I like the first one and this one. They're they're visually interesting. Yeah, right. And you know, 
mentioned that we, we see Gallifrey, but really what we're seeing is basically an office. You know, yeah. We're yeah. seeing one, one room of the you know, control of Gallifrey. Right. Yeah. The, um, they also have a mistaken understanding of what black holes are. The script writers describe them as a zone of nothingness. It's like, mm. no, okay. And they show one on screen and it's shaped irregularly because they're thinking of it as if it's like a tear in space. And yeah. that is not what black holes are. They, it, it, to the extent a black hole has a shape, it would be perfectly spherical. And I mean, even that's problematic, but you wouldn't represent it as this jagged, irregular thing. And it's not a zone of nothingness. It's an, in, it's, it's an intense gravitational source. Mm-hmm. And they also refer to the singularity as something apart from the black hole, like that, right. that's sort of the power of the black hole, which Omega has. Yeah. And they, of. they say it can only exist inside of a black hole. And it's like, actually there are other kind of, there are other ways you can have singularities, but yeah. Um, so, uh, referring to the, the second doctor and Benton and the brigadier, we remember that they, they met the mm-hmm. doc, mm-hmm. the second doctor. And so we have a little bit of a reunion happening at this point. And, uh, the brigadier kind of thinks that because since since Pertwee is missing, he thinks that uh, Pertwee, the third doctor, has taken on the second doctor face again. And like mm-hmm. it's the same mm-hmm. person. And in fact, the brigadier is very skeptical of everything going on, yeah. which is kind of funny. Yeah, the it's it's a little unfortunate. Um, the the hypothesis: the doctor's face has changed again, and it's changed back into what it used to look like. That's a reasonable hypothesis, but if you have people telling you, no, that's not what's happening, this is, I, I, I've moved in time, you should pay attention to what they're saying. You shouldn't just reject it and cling to your pet hypothesis. Yeah. You, you know, that's, that is an unfortunate thing that they do with the, the brigadier. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, they, you know, when he doesn't understand what's going on, instead of trying to figure it out, he just gets stubborn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and this is not the only time we see that. We see that kind of throughout. Is you know, whenever they need someone to be kind of the stubborn character, when units involved, it's the brigadier. You know, right? He's Benton the... is usually much more open about what's going on, and it just kind of kind of rolls with it. But not the you know brigadier, and, and sometimes the brigadier does too. He's just like, okay, doctor, whatever you say. Yeah. But he's sort but, of the stereotypical stodgy senior officer. Yeah, in, in mm-hmm. those cases, yeah. Um, I I really like yeah. the scenes, especially the ones that don't involve the brigadier. Where I mean, I like the brigadier stuff too, but I particularly enjoy when Benton is able mm-hmm. to be alone with the second doctor, mm-hmm. and they're battling this anti-matter anti-matter blob. Um, it is it is it is v- what a treat this must have been mm-hmm. for both the actor who plays Benton, John Levitt, and uh, Patrick John Levine. And Patrick Troughton to be able to be reunited, and because they had previously battled the Cybermen and stuff, and here they are battling an antimatter blob. It must have been a real. It was. It was an. It must have been a real nostalgia moment for them, but it was a yeah. nostalgia moment for me. Yeah, yeah. And we we should mention that the first and they they bring it up in the episode, but the first time that the Brigadier and then Colonel, if I remember right. Yeah, Colonel. Yeah, Colonel. Um, and some of the others. Or at least the Brigadier meets him as was the Yeti episode in the, uh, mm-hmm. web, the web of, of fear. fear. Web of fear, right? We've and done then that one. We recently. see unit. Yeah. We haven't talked about the episode yet, but we will see unit being established under the second doctor oh, okay. as well later. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Also, I like when the second doctor shows up, he's he's immediately very charming and he and the do- the third doctor are squabbling a bit, but he's he's very charming and he he immediately takes to Joe. Mm-hmm. You know, now they had wanted Heiser, uh, Fraser Hines to reappear in this story as Jamie and have a romance with Joe. But unfortunately, mm. Fraser Hines was committed elsewhere. He had another acting job he was doing. Mm. Um, and so they ended up transferring a lot of his lines to Benton and making them non-romantic. Right. Mm-hmm. But the um, when the second doctor shows up, I mean, he's used to having companions. He doesn't have one of his here, but he immediately understands Joe's role in things. And he is being charming and he says, I may call you Joe, mayn't I? And I just, <laughs> I just love that you don't see that one very often. Maint as a contraction of may not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very charming. Well, I love it when they're trying to explain. The two doctors are trying to explain to Joe and Benton what's going on. And the the uh, the third doctor goes, "He is me, and I am he, I am him." And Joe immediately goes, "And we're all together." Goo goo kachoo. Yeah, <laughs> the Beatles. Yes, the Beatles. <laughs> And um, then and then she had to explain what the song was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I am the walrus. Also, they have – this also establishes a new bit of uh, – because I don't think they've established this before, but Time Lord Telepathy. Yes. Because they make contact. They, they do the contact and, and they have a, a kind of visual effect for that. But the – I believe this is the first reference on screen yes. to Time Lords being telepathic. Yeah, this first time we see contact, first time we see them communicating mm. that way. So It's so handy because it means we, they don't have to explain everything again for the mm-hmm. sake of the audience. You know, it's a handy shorthand. They're like, oh, here, let me just sum up. And yeah. Contact. Well, and then and, and towards the end of the episode, they don't have to explain the entire plot. You know, right. to try to get that communicating back and forth on the whole plot. It's like, okay, we've got the new, we've got the plot now. This will work. And then we see it play out. Mm-hmm. They also have another way of avoiding explaining everything because at one point the brigadier. So when the second doctor first shows up, Joe and Benton are present, but the brigadier is not. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's why he doesn't believe that the second doctor is the second doctor because he didn't see him with the third doctor. So when the brigadier shows up, he has this hypothesis that that the sec- that the doctor's face has changed back, and it's like, well, then what really happened? And we cut a we cut to another scene, and we cut back, and Patrick Troughton is saying, and so that's what happened. It's really simple, see? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he still <laughs> yeah. doesn't believe it. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. The. Uh- what was I going to say? The oh, the Time Lords refer when they're going to send the first Doctor. They refer to him as the earliest Doctor, mm-hmm. which is an interesting bit of uh, information that eventually we find out gets Has changed. Been, been retconned, yeah. Yes, it's been taken. Yeah, and um, the 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 I think the Time Lord Chancellor, I think it is, uh, refers to. Oh no, the first Doctor does. The first Doctor refers to the uh, Pertwee as a clown. Oh no. Troughton is a clown, the, the, and Pertwee as a as a dandy. Yeah, yep. he doesn't identify them by name, but the yep. he says, "So you're my successors, a dandy and a clown." Yep. <laughs> and they are uh, correctly offended by such a thing. Well, it, it, so they both play it so well because they're both kind of smiling, glad to see him, and then it, it's like, mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, the 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 whole doctor meeting is other reincarnations uh, thing. There was I just I like that line. Um, couple other well, moments. I mean, it's it's understandable. Yeah. I mean, if you have, if you're a, if I mean, just imagine that you totally change your personality and sense of style and physical appearance. And that just happens to you every so often. It's like you've mm-hmm. gone crazy and you would probably be jarred by seeing yourself in this <laughs> other. It's mm-hmm. like, what the heck is going on with me now? Yeah. 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 I could, I, I could accept that. Yeah. There's a couple of funny moments, a couple of funny lines um, with the, the second doctor, like you mentioned, loses his recorder at some point, his, you know, his little flute. And that is iconic for him and uh, keeps looking for it. And at one point he says, if only I could find my recorder, I could play you a little something to pass the time. Oh, and the brigadier yeah. says, we must be thankful for small mercies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. That was a good one. One of, the, one of the things that happens with the second doctor's recorder. Now, at first, it's it's just a playful thing that's characteristic of him. And then he loses it and becomes obsessed with it. And it's it's. From a writing perspective, it seems a little annoying that he's this over the top obsessed with his the loss of his recorder at mm-hmm. this crisis moment. But then, in front of Omega, he is, and we should talk about Omega. So we don't actually see Omega. He's wearing a, a costume that includes a mask that is basically a frog-faced samurai helmet. Yeah. <laughs> And he has like no nose on the helmet. Um, but, and he's strutting around. And actually, this version of Omega is a lot more interesting than the one we see later in Peter Davison's time. This one has an actual actor inside the costume, and he's actually acting and mm-hmm. displaying different moods, including a enjoyment and appreciation mm-hmm. of things um, among his his among his desire for vengeance he's clearly enjoying himself mm-hmm. and um and and that makes the character a lot more interesting but in front of omega you know he's he's been explaining how i've created this world through the power of my will and and he's he's you know so he's boasting and he's enjoying himself and patrick troughton says oh could you whip me up a recorder it, yeah. it, and and it, that throws him off his stride and and he is angrily dismissive of it and patrick troughton is like well a little recorder wouldn't be too much to ask and <laughs> and and and, and John, the third doctor, John Pertwee, then is like talking to the second doctor. It's like, can you can you cool it on the recorder front right now? <laughs> yeah. And what do you think you're doing? And Patrick Troughton pulls the curtain back on what the second doctor regularly does and says, I'm testing the limits of his self-control. Mm-hmm. I'm deliberately being unreasonable in order to see how easy it is to th- to get him to lash out, which will mm-hmm. which will be crucial to their eventual plot later on. But right. this is this is a classic second doctor. He's he's per, portraying this innocent bumbling, you know, appearance to his enemy and letting him think he's obsessed about a recorder when really he's performing a test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's one way that's how they really 
show the difference between the threes, these three doctors and their personalities and their ways of going about things. You know, yeah. at at one point, the third doctor is doing Venusian Aikido against mm-hmm. the dark side of Omega's mind. That's his physical, more physical aspect mm-hmm. to him. Troughton is about being the clever clown. You know, uh, the well, first doctor was all more cerebral. He has all the knowledge. So, well, in in the third doctor, you know, he's doing more of the scientific stuff. You know, there's the yeah. scene where he's in the laboratory working with him, um, things like that. Uh, yes. So, yeah, you definitely do see the different personalities coming out. Yeah. I think that's clever on the part of the writers. Yeah. Yeah, I like I, and this is part of why two and seven are among my most favorite doctors because they both do the Columbo thing. They mm. both come across as humble and 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 they're using they're allowing their enemies to misunderestimate them. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. much prefer that to the strutting, arrogant, shouty doctors. Right, right. <laughs> this I, I I have to say the the slow motion Venusian Aikido scene was just so that great. Was- that was another time filler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that's what I referred to, you know, at the beginning of the, you know, the, with a couple of scenes exception. And that's that's one right there where <laughs> yeah. it's just like it's so painful. It's just. Yes. Uh, you know, when they first arrive on the antimatter planet, Joe is like, are we dead? And mm-hmm. that was uh, nice. Doc- Joe yeah, becomes the, convinced they're dead temporarily. Yeah. And the doctor says it it isn't much like heaven. Uh, so it, yeah. they're in another rock quarry somewhere in, in England. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, Probably the same one they film at all the time. <laughs> right, right. Let's just film from this angle. Um, there's another uh, funny in, uh, exchange at the very end between Mrs. Aulis and Mr. Aulis. This is our uh, stinger. <laughs> this is our out note for the fourth yeah. episode. Yep. And uh, he goes like, where, where do you think you've been, Arthur Aulis? I've been worried sick about you. I have. Everybody's been searching. Where have you been? Soldiers looking for you. You didn't come home for your dinner. Well, and he just says, you'd never believe me, woman. Supper ready? Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very much Move like the, the stoic, uh, you know, a stiff upper lip country, you know, b- bumpkin uh, sort of thing, which is which is fun. I, l- I really like that one. Um, any other notes on this episode of things that I didn't cover? Uh, in my notes here, Father Corey. I'm trying to. Um, there was some. Sorry, I'm, I'm blanking. There. there was something I wanted to mention. Oh, uh, there was a bit of a meta line here about feed it with useless info. Wonder if I have a television set handy. <laughs> that was yeah. going to be my outline on this. Oh, one. sorry. That's but, fine. No, that's was, fine. <laughs> that was a good, good meta one. And then, yeah. then you know, I want to say, you know, this episode does confirm that the Time Lords are actually clones from the Clone Wars, and that. Omega from uh, Bad Batch is becomes evil bad guy, still a manipulator. <laughs> right, right. Uh, crosshair. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Jimmy? So there's a moment late in the uh, story where everybody's gotten back to Earth except the doctors. And it they're thinking or suspecting for a minute that the doctor may have died in the explosion. And br- the brigadier has a a really nice line where he's he's kind of he's he's not formally eulogizing the doctor, but he's mm-hmm. doing a little bit of that. And he says, "Wonderful chap, both of him, <laughs> yeah, both of him, right, right." Also, it's it's remarkably um, dark what the doctor does in this. The two mm-hmm. doctors. They're given Omega the only freedom he could ever have, which is death. 
And it's like, okay, they're deliberately killing him. They're mm-hmm. deliberately they're giving him this device. They know it's going to kill him, and then they deliberately provoke him. And you, after that, let's test the limits of his self control from earlier in the story. They then push him past the limits of his self control by being demanding, and so he lashes out. He smashes the device. It causes the matter flute to come in contact with the antimatter universe, and bam, everything blows up. Um, and and they're doing that. As so, this is the doctor committing euthanasia. You know, mm-hmm. the all of all of Omega's body has previously been eaten away by centuries or millennia of exposure to the uh, particles coming from the singularity, which doesn't make any sense. And and so he's he's basically a ghost now. Now, how exactly this works is like okay. So if his will is all that exists, you, you an, an explosion isn't going to destroy his body because he ain't got one, right? And he's going to come back and haunt you in Peter Davison's time, which is exactly <laughs> what he does. Yeah. Um. So it's not actually the best thought out plan, but in terms of what they're intending to do, they're intending to kill him. As an as a sort of act of mercy and also escape, and although I don't think the mercy is foremost in their minds, I think it's the escape. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's like wow, this is actually pretty darn dark. Yeah, I mean, even even the you know call it back with uh, the doctor and Joe at the end, kind of talking about it, and she's like, oh, I can you're still upset because you had to trick Omega. And he says, uh, I promised him his freedom and I gave it to him. The only freedom he could ever have, you know, and mm-hmm. you have that because there was no other way to free him from this universe. And it occurs to me, like the way they talk about Omega, he's like their George Washington. You know, he's the, the he's not Rassilon, I know, but he's sort of yeah. created what we now know as of the Time Lord. He, mm-hmm. he gave them time travel. Well, and so it would be like of, if if George Washington went crazy and needed to be right. you euthanized. Know, euthanized. In yeah. story terms, it is like he's Rassilon because Rassilon hasn't been invented as a character yet. Right. So okay, so Omega and is kind of more more Ben Franklin mm-hmm. would be a better analogy. <laughs> yeah. Sure, the, okay. the scientific minded, but also uh, with Ben Franklin was influential influential in some of the philosophy as well that of the the founding of the country. Right. Things like that. So. As the Firesign Theater says, Ben Franklin, the only president of the United States who was never president of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> I wonder what the percentage of Americans who think that Ben Franklin was president is. <laughs> so. oh. By the way, one, one more thing I, I did uh, forget to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the, the 12th Doctor, there's a lot. Kate Stewart mentions to the Doctor that all, all the Brigadier wanted to do was, was a salute. With, to receive a salute from the doctor. Well, yeah. Of course, in this, as the brigadier leaves, goes through the singularity to leave, he salutes the doctor. Mm-hmm. Right, right. All right. So I think that should do it for this time. Before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Robert B., Alfredo M., Elliot J., Violand F., and Maria D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. 
So and, we'd love to, and yeah. and before we go, oh yes, before I, we go. I wanted to share something that I found on YouTube by a strange coincidence the day before we recorded this. It's mm. a little like twelve second clip of uh, Patrick Troughton, and you know we had Patrick Troughton and his identity confusion with the third Doctor in this episode, and in this clip. Uh, you have a TARDIS standing on what looks like a London street, I guess. And Patrick Troughton mm-hmm. comes out of it and introduces himself and then has a startling realization, which causes him, just like he did in the episode, to vanish. <laughs> Hello, I'm John Pertwee. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the clip actually goes on for quite a bit longer after that yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that that is pretty good that has to have been quite a while afterward that's yeah he, he, he looks, looks much older that yeah, looks like older. looks like the 80s maybe something they filmed in either for a convention or or at a convention yeah. or for the two doctors that's yeah. that's what i was wondering i was wondering if it was part of the the two doctors filming just something for fun or yeah, he looks very different. I didn't recognize him at first. <laughs> so, excellent. That was very good. So, that's it from us this time. What did you think of The Three Doctors? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 12th Doctor story, The Girl Who Died. You know, me. Until then. (laughs) Until then, Father Corey Stiga, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I'll say it anyway, if, if I'm going to keep it confused by feeding it with useless information, I wonder if I have a television set handy. 